Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Finding Our Way. This is our Southridge member podcast, helping people get the inside scoops on the life of our church. And uh, I've got uh, a real exciting guest today, uh, one of our uh, brand new homeless shelter staff in St. Catharines, although uh, her and her family uh, attend our Vineland location, Kelsey Nectel. Kelsey, say hi to everybody. Hey, everybody. Uh, appreciate you joining us today, Kels, and uh, knowing that some of us across our locations might not know you that well, just give us a little bit of background about yourself, kind of where you come from, family dynamics, that sort of thing. Yeah, so um, me and my family uh, attend the Vineland location, also known as the best location at Southridge, and uh, so we've uh, we've been enjoying going to Southridge for about uh, 10 years now. Uh, originally going to Glenridge, we live in Grimsby, and uh, I still have the good fortune of being permitted to live with my folks at the moment, so they've been very good to me. Can you describe the the story or the reason how your family ended up at Southridge? That's a long time ago, 10 years, wow. Yeah, um, so originally we were uh, at my childhood church. It had gotten, uh, it started to disperse. We were in Stony Creek. Um, it had become a little bit stagnant for a while and me and my brother were pretty young so um my folks were kind of looking for something more engaging and we got an email from Southridge and because uh, we were kind of you know trying out different churches looking for somewhere you know that would be engaging in the community along with kind of like on a family level and uh we gave it a try and yeah the rest is history I suppose the rest is history uh well listen same question but uh tell us about your staff journey it's been a couple months now is that right yeah yeah so i believe that i'm creeping up i'm still under the six month mark but creeping up on it now i started uh just okay. near the end of march oh that's great right around when covid hit i'm sure yeah, that's yeah. too <laughs> talk about that story how you how you ended up on that journey yeah so um i'd been working over it's a dog boarding kennel for uh also about 10 years and uh, I love the job. I love the work. I love animals. But um, a deep passion of mine is uh, people, working with people. And um, that aspect wasn't so much fulfilled at my other job. And I was really looking for a change. So I started to hand out resumes to anyone who would take them and eventually kind of cornered our location pastor, Rick, who uh, tossed me over to Nate and eventually uh, Sam and Annie and Brendan over at the shelter. And they were uh, kind enough to give me an interview and uh, to let me have a shot. It was a very timely season for you, knowing that uh, I know we've had a few podcasts lately describing the shelter expansion and mm. uh, all of our expanded capacity. Some of those roles, uh, which were taken by existing shelter staff, so you were able to come on and kind of backfill uh, yeah. one of those roles. So describe that a, a little bit. What's your role like today? So I am a uh, resident support staff, so um, I help out with anything from uh, kind of serving meals to offering uh, comfort and support in uh, practical ways like uh, offering out I don't know, toothbrush, toothpaste, anything from first aid to, uh, to just kind of supporting our friends in, uh, in all aspects that we'd need at the shelter. The, the diverse life of the shelter floor. Is that the way we describe it? Yeah, yeah. So it's a, it's a versatile job, and I think that that's uh, part of what drew me to it. Not only does it kind of fulfill that kind of desire that I had to be working with people, but um, also it's been 
incredible. The, the pace, the, uh, just the relational aspect has been baffling to me. Hmm. I was going to dig into that a little bit deeper, knowing that you're only a few months into your role here, I guess almost officially six months. Uh, anything aside from I wanted to serve people instead of just dogs that uh, <laughs> made you interested in working at Southridge? Yeah, I um, so I went through uh, bouts of mental health myself, and I know that uh, that can be a similar kind of experience that our friends at the shelter have also navigated. And I guess that's um, a dream of mine. It, it assists me with closure is kind of being able to use my experiences to kind of connect or be able to have that kind of relationship with people. Like, oh, okay, let let me see this from your point of view, and let's. Let's work through it because I, I had a similar experience. Um, so when it came to wanting to work with um, those experiencing homelessness, I'd already had a few friends who had been through crippling addiction, kind of chronic homelessness. And I guess that having that background also kind of assisted me in that desire to look into it more. Hmm. Kind of an inherent capacity for compassion. And I got to say, Kelsey, I'm not in the building all that often these days because of COVID, but I've been in a handful of times in the past number of weeks. And when I see you in there, you know, up close and personal with residents, I, I can almost feel from a distance kind of palpably the way that God is working through your heart. And so I hope that you're, I hope that you're encouraged in that, that sense of contribution and maybe even calling when you talk about the way that God has worked faithfully in your own life and now how you can share that with, some other people, um, you know, related to that, what, what would you say you're enjoying about your role so far? Uh, a big piece would be, um, again, the people. I know that I've already harped on that a fair bit, but um, not only so much what I can give, except on a, on a relatively selfish level, also what they've offered me of being able to sit down and I've had residents like walk me through how to choose a car and they help me kind of choose uh, my first vehicle and um, kind of assisting me in like every kind of relational aspect of kind of like, Oh no, you should, you should maybe try things this way. Oh, you know, like let's, let's work through this. I have become a better ping pong player for sure. (laughs) So that's, that's been fun. But I think that a big piece, which I enjoy is not only the pace, but um, also the fact that, I'm, I'm able to build friendships with people who I not always would have. Hmm. What would you say that you've learned so far about what God is doing at our shelter or maybe phrased differently? Where have you seen God the most so far? I'd say that I see God the most, um, just a big aspect has been generosity. To be honest with you, we have had, amazing, amazing selfless people come to the door and say, hey, I've planted a garden. I know it's not much, but I'm going to bring all the produce to you guys. Or, hey, I've taken a Costco trip. What can I grab you guys? Hey, what can I What can I do with this? What can I do with that? And the immense generosity has been floor, flooring. Mm-hmm. Uh, so not only is God working that, in that aspect to kind of make a bridge of like people contributing, but also God's been working very 
very amazingly and just fulfilling our needs in that way too. We ran out of shaving cream the one day and I was scrambling, looking around for it. And then of course we get a massive donation from this really sweet woman who came in and, and just almost like eerily God will fill these needs for us. Like when, when we realize that we're out of something or that we need help in a certain area, there's always people willing to give. It, it is cool especially over years and years to be able to see just the chronic consistent faithfulness of God. And, uh, I would, I would share your sense that there's, there's almost no experience more overwhelming of the heart of God than the experience of generosity. And, uh, when mm-hmm. you just see lavish, I'm in, let me be a blessing. I mean, it, it really, it really gives you a glimpse into what the kingdom of heaven and the heart of God is like. Um, mm-hmm. Final question, just about your role here. I, I know we've described uh, in this conversation, these podcasts before, that there are a number of uh, homelessness service providers across Niagara, somewhere in the neighborhood of 28 or almost 30. What would you say, you know, kind of knowing the system a little bit now, what would you say the difference is that our shelter offers and the contribution it makes to serving the homeless uniquely? Uh, on the aspect of uniquely, I mean, every different shelter has areas of its strengths. But one thing which I know that Southridge does very well is kind of long-term um, kind of goals ahead. So our Housing First and Home for Good programs have been amazing. So a lot of our friends, um, you know, they're experiencing a lot of difficulty which brought them there. But when it comes to Housing First, it kind of, gets them on the right track, you know, and, and kind of the long way. It doesn't, it doesn't stunt the growth because I know that um, with some shelter visits, it's almost like, well, I'm, I'm here. Let me, I get a little comfortable. I'm not going to keep looking. I just need to, to take a breather here. And that's totally fine. But to have steps in place to kind of look to the future and be like, okay, let's get you housing. And I know that that's not going to sweep away everything. I, I liken it kind of like uh, pot boiling over. Like, I mean, the problem is that the, is that the heat's turned up too high. Taking off the lid isn't going to help that, but it relieves enough pressure for us to get the heat down. I, mm-hmm. I liken that similar to the housing program. So it's not going to fix some of these kind of chronic addictions. And so there needs to be help in that aspect, except being able to remove the lid from the boiling over pot and kind of finding housing to kind of ease that process so that you have the time, you have the stability to really approach some of these crippling, crippling addictions is I think a big aspect which Southridge has been able to bring some of our friends. I think that we've really been doing well in that area. And that's something that over the years we've embraced increasingly is this, what they call a housing focused shelter. It's one Mm -hmm. thing to focus on sheltering and just kind of figure like that's the end of it. But to have a focus on housing, it's amazing what housing can free up. Like you said, it's like taking the lid off the boiling pot. That's a great metaphor and uh, certainly has become uh, a unique, I think a unique edge uh, of the way that our shelter contributes to, to homelessness in Niagara. That's great. Uh, Kels, every once in a while, uh, we try to weave into this podcast next-gen voices from our community, and I would consider you one of those, uh, kind of these next-gen leaders in our community. And so I want to tap in, first of all, from uh, into some of what you've observed or experienced already in your role at the shelter, and you've alluded to it already. 
this idea of friendship making the difference, that it's not just a contribution you've had to make, but something that you've received as well. And, mm. you know, it's just amazing how that kind of taps into your compassion. Uh, you, you said a little bit that uh, your, your compassion journey came from your own experience with some mental health challenges. Can you talk any more about kind of the, the, the origin of compassion for you or how compassion has grown over you in recent years? Yeah, sure. Um, so in, in my experience, I, uh, I was in a position of where my life was pretty up in the air with, uh, with my mental health. I, um, because of the, uh, like treatments, which I had, uh, with ECT, I, I lost a large portion of, uh, my my memory so i'm only really clear about three years previous um and the rest gets extremely fuzzy very quickly so i i hit a place where i was very disoriented and very kind of lost and so the aspect of relationship and compassion that comes up for me is i needed people to step in and just not not try to fix me right off the bat they just needed to listen um, they just needed to be there and have that process with me. And I think that um, the the way which I approach some of uh, my friendships at the shelter is kind of like, okay, let's let's see where you're at. Let's just chat. Let's let's talk about what's going on. And we don't need to problem solve right now. Let's just vent. Let's uh, let's get some of the steam out. Um, so that I knew for me was very helpful. And being able to offer that to someone else has been just an incredibly honoring privilege. And um, so as I've gone through my journey, I found that this new job has been very, very healing, I suppose, uh, for mm. me. And it's, uh, it's been fantastic, just being able to have that give and take too. And that really is the power of friendship makes a difference, isn't it? The, the, the reciprocity of compassion can you talk about, other than advice on how to purchase a car, uh, <laughs> how you've experienced that through other people in your life as well? Yeah, so I have uh, an incredible aunt who who helped me out. And, and also, of course, nurses and uh, medical support staff who assisted me. And I think that um, this, this might not be particularly on topic, but one big aspect of compassion at its core is to kind of suffer together. And so I knew when I was in deep distress, I almost felt more crippled that people were giving to me. And I felt that kind of need to give back. And then I would refuse help if I wasn't able to have some kind of balanced relationship. I'd try to draw pictures for nurses or try to, I don't know, oh, can I take you out for coffee or something? And I think that's a big, big piece, which I've learned is um, that relationships have to be relatively balanced. Um, so if, if I have a need, even, I know I'm drifting back to shelter work, but if I have a need, oh, can you help me lift these bags or something? I find that our relationship will grow more because we're working together on a certain aspect. Uh, we're working mm -hmm. together. Oh yeah. Let's go, uh, run these errands together. Let's go, uh, I don't know, like break up some boxes. Let's do some work together. Builds that relationship much faster. And I guess with, with my experience, I suppose, um, I found that pretty healing for me. And I was, I'm just hoping to offer that kind of comfort and that this is a two way street hmm. too. It's great. Like it, it almost isn't a relationship until it's reciprocal, isn't it? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I find that um, <laughs> relationships can be a bit stagnant or else you're just kind of sitting there and we become vending machines very quickly. And uh, our friends will become almost a bit more off-put by us if we don't act human. If we don't say, hey, I, I sometimes I get freaked out by this pandemic too. Hey, you want to talk about what's been going on in your life? Yeah, this has freaked me out. Uh, this is This is what I've been struggling with too. And if you're the first one to kind of offer that aspect of vulnerability, it's wild how quickly uh, you'll you'll have it given back. That's fantastic. Hey, uh, as a next gen voice, I want to get your take on a few other topics. So uh, mm-hmm. we'll move out of just the, the homelessness uh, world and uh, knowing this isn't the only area where our church has desired to extend compassion. Uh, the last number of years, our church has been trying to move forward uh, some policy and some efforts toward a greater degree of LGBTQ inclusion. And I know that you've been tracking with our church and been an active participant in all of our public meetings uh, for the mm-hmm. last number of years. What would you say you observed in the leadership of our church as we navigated that journey? Yeah, so I think with kind of any um, advance into uncharted territory, there's going to be areas which you're very strong in, and there's going to be areas which you might need some uh, room for growth. And I think that the way that Southridge approached um, kind of this conversation of inclusion and welcoming, um, there there were some areas which needed a wee bit of improvement, in my um, opinion. So when I, I first being a very uh, having a very affirmative stance. Um, I, I first heard um, our stance being like, okay, well, be affirming or agree with us or kind of you know bugger off. And at first, I was like, oh, this is perfect. This is fantastic. You know, like weed out the people who aren't going to be welcoming. This is great. And um, then when I started to look around, I saw like really good friends of mine, kind of you know you know, hang their heads a little bit and kind of head for the door. They, they were starting to feel unwelcomed and unheard. And, you know, be, <laughs> I, I immediately kind of thought like, like, this is fun. Just, just, if they could open their ears, this wouldn't be a problem. This wouldn't be a problem. And then I started to realize if I'm supposed to be asking them to respect me in that fashion, I must be the one to listen first so um, I tried to have coffee with a lot of people with kind of differing views than me or who had uh, more strong opinions just so I could get maybe more of a glimpse into their world. Because if I'm ever to ask someone to listen to my story, of course, I have to listen to theirs first. And because I suppose at the end of the day, like you don't have to agree with everyone and you don't have to even like everyone, I'm going to say. Um, but when it comes to the crux of it, like those those qualities that rub you up the wrong way, like those have to prove completely insignificant when gauging someone's worth. And when gauging someone's worth, you have to offer them that respect because ultimately everyone, even if you're totally not keen on them, everyone deserves the respect of being heard and feeling welcomed too. So I think that's even though being on more the affirming stance, um, my worry was that we were almost pushing people away too quickly before they got a word in. So what would you say, you know, having kind of journeyed through and, and understanding a little bit more of our leadership's vision for what we call the love beyond belief, what is that meaning to you now these days? 
I would say love beyond belief is truly that uh, relational aspect of let me get out of my comfort zone and listen. Let me let me hear what you have to say. Let me let me educate myself on uh, on on your world. Let me kind of journey together with you in this. Uh, be that the LGBTQ plus or um, like any of the other obstacles that we've been facing. Let's let's approach it with this undivided love and respect that we have for each other. Because at the end of the day, like we can agree to disagree. Like we need to foster an environment where, yeah, we can totally not agree on certain things, but we can embrace after and then praise God at the end of the day together, regardless of kind of how we feel. I liked your comment earlier too about respect, realizing, hey, you might not agree with me. I might not even like you, let alone your your <laughs> perspective. But you know, you're a child of God. You're an image bearer of the Creator, and you're aspiring as best you can to to follow Him faithfully as well. And so I'm going to listen and at least respect where you're coming from. And that that's a that's a huge component to experiencing that love beyond what we may personally believe or hold as as strong convictions, isn't it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, another recent kind of area of compassion that God has awakened us to, to a greater degree, uh, would be this whole journey this past summer uh, facing racial injustice. Um, mm. As this issue has become more prominent in the past couple of months, how did you find yourself reacting to all that? Uh, it's been, uh, difficult. I think, um, hearing people and the suffering that they've been through has been heart-wrenching and that it hasn't been acknowledged before also. Um, I think again, it comes back to a relational piece of thinking, well, I'm not actively participating, um, in racism. It's kind of like, well, well, let's, let's open up and hear what everyone has to say. Let's, let's just sit down and listen. Let's hear both sides of the story. Let's, let's educate ourselves and look more into it. Um, being of, uh, kind of, uh, my mom was Caucasian and my father was uh, Laotian. So Asian, um, I've, I've had a, a number of racial slurs thrown at me despite being adopted and raised by very kind of Caucasian parents. And so I'll often get kind of like, Oh, how long you've been in the country? Your, your English is very good. Even as a kid, I didn't really realize that I that uh, that I looked a little different from everyone in my class since I went to a very uh, white school for for a little while. Uh, it, it took a while, and I think just that aspect of education and compassion, I think, needs to take the forefront now above anything else. Uh, for those of us listening, Kels, what would you want? our collective membership to know when it comes to the realities of racial injustice and white privilege from your observations or experiences? To, to be, to be honest, Jeff, I, I want to speak on this, but I must admit that I am still a student in this area as well. I, I need to educate myself and learn more myself as well, even though that I get, you know, a bit of the short end of the stick with some, you know, some verbal outbursts of people, I'm realizing that they too are pretty spooked. They're scared. They don't understand what's going on. Cause if they did, then no, none of these slurs would come out. 
And so again, being kind of raised in almost like white privilege myself um, in my family, I need to educate myself on uh, some of the difficulties which our friends are experiencing mm. more than I have. Mm. And uh, I need to be sensitive to that too. Mm. So I- say that? If any. Sorry, mm. I was gonna say, would you say that's the most significant step that we can all take right now to experience a greater degree of racial equality? Just that education and just let's start staring at this uh, more deeply? Yeah, I would say very quickly, uh, people don't want to look at the elephant in the room. And even if you don't agree with it, uh, there must be an agreement that this has been um, talked about or concerned about by others. And I think that that alone, even if you don't particularly think so, then I think that that alone of like, oh, my brothers and sisters are are finding this passion in this. Oh, maybe I should look into it more. So again, I know that I've been harping on a lot, just that education and kind of relational aspect of kind of like, okay, approach this in it with a curious mind. Hey, as a younger staff member, I know that you're you're a newer staff member, but uh, you've been included recently in some conversations that we've had with some of our younger staff about engaging the next generation of our church's leadership. Talk about what excites you about those conversations, even in the the the, the very few that you've been a part of so far. Yeah, it's uh, it's very exciting to see. Um, a young generation of leaders like we had uh, a couple kids stop by the shelter the other day and they had been making bracelets and selling them and they came by and they were emptying their pockets of like nickels and dimes and they're saying we made 63 dollars and we want to donate it and it's like this next generation has such passion and compassion where uh, where it's very exciting and if if i can have any say in this i think that's Um, one thing which I know for myself I'd lacked before and I'm trying to get better, I'm certainly not great at it, is listening to the voice of our elders as well. Um, I think that there needs to be more of a bridge between uh, those who have been through difficulties before and the younger generation who's kind of going into it, you know, let's excited and this, let's try everything, let's try everything new. And but really leading on the guidance of those who have been through it before, I think, is in, indispensable. It's so important to go out and listen to those who have had much different experiences. I was thinking you use the word bridge. I find you to be quite a bridge building personality. And uh, I'd just be curious, <laughs> as you've started to sort of think about you know, bridging generational divides and, and, you know, becoming an intergenerational church to a greater degree, kind of a from generation to generation movement of God. What would you see as the greatest strengths that an emerging younger generation can uniquely bring compared to the strengths that a, a, a former or an older generation has to still contribute to the life of our church? I would say both have their both have strengths, like insurmountable strengths in their own way. With the younger generation, I would say that there's gumption galore. There's that that pull, that excitement. One of the large areas which we've seen growth in younger staff members is the shelter. People are just just striving and hoping to make a difference. There's that thirst for impact. There's a thirst for change. There's that hope of, okay, I can make a difference. I'm, And I think that's one aspect which even 
those anywhere from palliative care to to anything everyone has a voice as long as they're breathing like i think that some of uh some of our elders can speak to us and really shepherd us because truly um we have this gumption we have this go 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 but truly sometimes we're just chasing our tails and we need that help of showing us a path showing us the long term showing like okay i've been through this i've seen heartbreak i've seen this kind of feeling of failure let's let's work through this this is what to expect this is what you can gauge yourself on and i think that not only the wisdom i mean there's insurmountable possibilities of those in uh the elderly in our church but i think a big one which i might be biased that i know i desperately need is wisdom is wisdom in that sense and i wonder if those voices are getting shut out more than they should be Hmm. Hmm. kelsey i'm really grateful that you would spend some time with us and sharing your heart of compassion not just about how that's playing out in the shelter but you know related to our LGBTQ journey, related to racial equality and justice, and even in these next-gen conversations, building those bridges. Uh, Do you have any final encouragements or challenges to all of our listeners and members when it comes to the ways that God is leading our church for the future, especially as he extends more of his compassion among us? A big thing I would say is... um... To really, to really watch your own mental health in these times. I mean, we're we're living through a pandemic which kind of simulates depression. Uh, we're we're withdrawn and forced to be isolated in a sense. And I think that quickly, um, like almost as soon as you see someone's had a breakdown, then you realize, oh yeah, they've they've taken so long holding this all together. And we don't. We need to pick up on it faster than that. We need to be able to pick up on it before that critical moment arrives. We need to have that, our finger on the pulse of not only our own mental health, but those that we love, just check in, let some steam out. Just again, journey in that relational aspect as best we can in a healthy manner, because these are difficult times. We haven't really encountered them before. And so let's be sure that we're being careful with ourselves and with others. That's great wisdom, Kelsey. I appreciate you wrapping things up that way. Uh, Like I said earlier, it's a thrill to watch you on our staff team. And uh, it's a real gift to have you as an active participant in the life of our church in some of these bigger picture conversations. You bring a a gentleness and a a kindheartedness and certainly a a thoughtful articulation of the heart of God. And uh, I'm grateful that our members could get to know you a little bit today. So thanks for joining in. Oh, my pleasure, Jeff. Thank you. Uh, Gang, thanks for joining us as well. And uh, we'll see you again next week as we continue finding our way together. Take care, everyone. Mm -hmm.